Welcome to Photo Taco, the only show with photography tips you can learn in the time it takes to eat a taco. Or perhaps a burrito. Photo Taco! Hey everybody, welcome in to another episode of Photo Taco on the Master Photography Podcast Network. I'm your host, Jeff Harmon. Thanks so much for spending a few minutes of your day with me. I'm joined in this episode by Photoshop guru and training legend, Aaron Nace. <laughs> welcome to the show, Aaron. <laughs> welcome to the legends show. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. I so mean, good seriously, to be here. Yeah, what's that? So good to be here. Yeah, good, good. I really, I, I love, and, and most of the listeners, I've, I've heard from listeners, I let the listeners know that we were going to be recording this episode. And it, the the Facebook group just like blew up with comments. There's so many people, <laughs> a whole bunch of them, they didn't even have questions that they wanted to ask. It was a whole bunch of them were just like, oh, I can't wait. Aaron's one of my favorite people that does training on, on Photoshop and Lightroom. And this is going to be so exciting. They're, they're loving the, the, <laughs> the possibility here. So this is perfect. Fantastic. Um, for any listener who doesn't know who Aaron is, and I think most of you do, he's behind the extremely popular Flurn.com. And we're going to talk more about Flurn.com kind of towards the end of the show. I'll give Aaron a chance to kind of talk about what that is and, and how you can go get a discount on that. They've Flurn's offered us, a, a, the listeners, a discount. So you will catch that at the end of the show. Make sure you don't miss the end of the show for that. Uh, but Aaron, um, besides Flern, can you just give me give me like your sixty second elevator introduction? Yeah, sure. So, uh, yeah, my name is Aaron Nace. I started out uh, in life as like a visual artist. I've always been into drawing and painting. I went to school for uh, product design actually, and kind of fell into photography a little bit late in life. But once I got that photography bug, it stuck and. So I started my journey uh, in, in photography through self-portraiture, uh, through this project uh, called a 365-day project. I took a self-portrait every single day for a year and just learned so much during that time. And from there, took the leap to uh, commercial and fine art photography. And along the way, I was, you know, getting all these questions like, oh, man, that that image you did is crazy. How did you do it? So I started uh, showing people how to do some Photoshop stuff behind the scenes and then realized I enjoyed it so much and got such a great response from it that I started a company totally based around uh, software and photography education for creatives. Excellent. Excellent. So yeah, that that's how Flurn came about, I guess, from from the end of that, right? Yeah, 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 exactly. Perfect. So we'll we'll get to Flurn um, at the end, like I said, and that that'll be good because I, I it's a really excellent resource. Uh, I've I've been following and using Flurn for quite a while, so it's it's great. I, I love it. But that's not what we're here to talk about initially in this podcast in this episode. What we're going to talk about today, um, there there I've heard feedback from listeners like crazy where. They're comfortable in Lightroom. A lot of them, are, some, a lot of the audience are, are beginners, but there's some that are seasoned pros too, and they're they're usually fairly good in Lightroom. They've done enough in Lightroom that they kind of understand how to use it and where they're going. But anytime someone talks about going into Photoshop, they're like paralyzed <laughs> and petrified <laughs> to go in there. They uh, it's just they find it so intimidating, and and I kind of get why uh, because Lightroom is. It's not totally self, uh, you know, a guide that that you can go through it. It's not totally self-explanatory. That's the word I'm thinking of, self-explanatory. But 
at least there's a little bit of a step-by-step. Like you start with import in the library module and then you move to the develop module and they even have panels that are in a specific order to help guide your workflow in adjusting a photo. And, and so they find it way less intimidating because there's almost this guide through it. And not to say that you don't need lots of help with Lightroom because there's still plenty of stuff that you can learn about Lightroom that you don't get just by opening the software and starting just going. But it's way more self-explanatory and guided than Photoshop is. And that, that's, I think, where this, this problem happens, that a photographer who's kind of got it down in Lightroom they they hear about how much more is available in Photoshop and they they you know round trip into there and then they get there and they're like now what do I do? There's buttons everywhere. There's menus like crazy. There's there's just a lot of complexity to it, and they don't even know what to start with, how to get going on on adjusting their photo further inside of Photoshop. And that's what I want to talk about first. Then we have all these listener questions. We're going to see how many we can get to. So Aaron, my your your first job in the next 45 <laughs> or 60 minutes is to try to provide some kind of guidance on what that photographer, let's say they've never really experienced Photoshop. They don't know what to do inside of Photoshop. They've been in Lightroom. They've done some adjustments in in Lightroom. They know that they're supposed to be able to get more out of their photo, especially out of raw files when they go into Photoshop, but they just don't know what to do in Photoshop, how to even get started. What is your advice on someone that that needs to get started in Photoshop? Yeah, so... I always recommend starting out with a little bit of a plan. Like, what do you want to get done? You know, if you can identify like, okay, this this uh, this person looks great, but maybe they've got some blemishes in their skin. I want to remove those blemishes. Okay, that's, right. That's like a, you know, a goal, something you want to do. Or like, this photo is cool, but like, I remember it being like a little bit more like hazy and sunny. And I want to add like a warm kind of like like summer evening feel to this photo, right? So that's like changing the color and the light. That's another goal you can have as well. Or maybe you want to like create a composite photo where you want to take two different images and put them together and make it look realistic. That's another goal that you can have as well. So I always recommend starting with a goal and then taking the steps to, to get to that goal. So there are some tools that I recommend starting off with. So kind of the big ones, they're called adjustment layers. Now, an adjustment layer will allow you to change like the light or the color, like it'll add you, like allow you to do color toning as well. So if you want to put like blue colors in the shadows and warm colors in the highlights, you can do that as well. So the great thing about adjustment layers is that you can create them in Photoshop. You can turn them off and on at any point in time. So you can change that effect whenever you want. Nothing is set and you can use an the next tool which I recommend using is called a layer mask, which will allow you to either hide or show layers based on wherever you want. Like, say, let's say a person's, you took a picture of a person and their face was like in shadow, right? Like the, uh-huh. they're standing under a tree and maybe their face is just a little bit dark. So you want to brighten up just their face. Well, you know, maybe in Lightroom you would brighten up the whole photo, but in Photoshop you can say, like, I just want to brighten up their face. So you can use an adjustment layer, for instance, like a curves adjustment layer to brighten it up and then use the layer mask to decide, I want this to only be visible over top of their face. So it makes it really easy to make changes like that. Right. Okay. So uh, having the goal in mind, 
the goal that you would accomplish with adjustment layers, um, that's not the things like getting rid of pimples or skin kinds of things. That's what, what kinds of goals do you accomplish with adjustment layers? So that would be really anything to do with light or color, making anything brighter or darker or adjusting any of your colors. If you want to make an image black and white, if you want to color tone your image, warmer, cooler, really all everything you would need to do with light or color can be done with adjustment layers and that can be changed at any time. So it's what we say is non-destructive editing. It doesn't destroy your original image at all. It just kind of adds on top of it. Which is a really important point there because a lot of people describe the difference between Lightroom and Photoshop as Lightroom is non-destructive and Photoshop is destructive. That's usually kind of the black and white, overly simplified kind of comparison that, that people make. And it's just not true. There are things that can be done in Photoshop that are non-destructive and these adjustment layers are one is one of those um, that, that are super, super powerful. I, I love that. Aaron, can you describe for people that, again, you're in Photoshop, you're like, okay, he just said adjustment layer. How do you do that? Yeah, for sure. So, um, obviously we're on a podcast right, right, right. now. So, um, <laughs> makes it know, a little we, hard. <laughs> right. And that's, that's one of the things where like, um, when I first started teaching Photoshop, I was like, I need to make this, I need to make videos. Right. Cause that's just like, it's super easy to show someone in a video. So that's why we have uh, hundreds and hundreds of free videos on YouTube. If you guys just, just type in Flurn, that's P H L E A R N. Uh, you'll be able to watch our videos. We've got videos about just about every feature in Photoshop. But um, for those of you who are just listening, um, it's it's actually really easy. You can just go to the layer panel. So, you know, the top menu, you have like file and edit on all that stuff. Just go to layer down to new adjustment layer. And you'll get a whole list of adjustment layers that you can choose from that are going to change your image. So if you want to make something brighter or darker, I recommend curves. If you want to change the colors, I recommend hue saturation. If you want to just make your image like a little bit warmer or a little bit cooler, I recommend color balance. Perfect. All right. So if those are adjustments you're after, that is kind of where you start. And it, good. I love the suggestion of having a goal. I like that a lot to be able to say, okay, I have something specific that I want to do in Photoshop uh, and and even though some of this stuff you could still kind of accomplish in Lightroom, you, there's adjustment brushes in Lightroom where you could do mm-hmm. a little bit of this kind of thing. There's just more control, more options, um, and, and a way to make the effect uh, realize your creative vision. There's more power to do it in Photoshop. It's an, it's, it's an important tool to kind of add to your workflow and, and, and toolkit so that you can understand when you have a specific goal, how to go and accomplish it. Even though some of it's sort of attainable through through Lightroom, um, opening up your world to the Photoshop tools can can really enhance that. Um, it, layer masking. Let, let's talk about that since you brought that up too. And and one of the most important things that I think you get out of Photoshop, even if you're not going to be doing composites, which is where layer masking is is crucial. Um, what as you're using these adjustment layers, kind of try to describe for Saren how you use layer masks and what they do. Yeah, so a layer mask basically just controls the visibility of any layer or any group in Photoshop. So let's say, again, you wanted to brighten part of your image. Well, you could use an adjustment layer like curves and use your, you know, use the little graph on there, pull it up a little bit to make it brighter. But then you want to make this only visible on a certain part of your photo. 
basically you can just paint with the brush tool. It's a, it's a very simple process. So uh, if you want a layer to be invisible, you just make your layer mask black. If you want it to be visible, you just make it white. So for instance, if I wanted to just make a person's face brighter, I would just start by making the layer mask black so it's not visible anywhere, and then grab my brush tool and just paint white over the person's face, and then all of a sudden, that adjustment layer is only gonna be visible on their face, and then because it's a curves adjustment layer that you made brighter, the end result is their face is gonna get brighter, and you can control exactly how bright it gets. And as you dial into the settings, you can actually say, just make the highlights of their face brighter, or just make the shadows of their face brighter, or just the midtones, or you could even target colors within that too. You could say, just make the red range of their face a little bit brighter. So there's a lot of control that you can have here. And like you said, Lightroom has really come a long way and there's some fantastic things you can do there. But I find that when I get to a, like a stopping point where I'm like, there's something else I want to do to this photo. I just can't get it done in Lightroom. That's a great place to jump into Photoshop. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, and getting familiar with it. So it's going to take some time. It's going to take some going through it to, to learn how to leverage it as a tool and realize your creative vision with your photo when you run into the limitations in Lightroom. Like I just can't quite get it where I want in Lightroom it's a good indicator that it's time to go into Photoshop and then you've got to know how to accomplish that goal in Photoshop, which is what we're going to try to help with right now in this episode. Okay. So layers, let's, let's talk about layers themselves first. Cause I think there's a lot of people that don't even understand what a layer is. So can you add Aaron, what, how do layers work? What are they? Yeah. So a layer, I kind of think of it like a piece of paper, right? So like you have, let's say you, you, you take a photo of a friend uh, and pull it into Photoshop. So that's like your background layer, right? That's just like a single photograph. It's on one layer. It's kind of like two-dimensional. Now, if you want to make adjustments to that image, you can use layers to kind of add on top of that. So I think of it like a piece of paper. Like, So the image of your friend would be like the bottom piece of paper in a stack. And then you could just put another piece of paper right over top of that. That'd be another layer. And then put another piece of paper right over top of that. And that would be another layer too. And each one of those pieces of paper, you can do all types of things on those. You could add text, you could add graphics, you could add coloring changes, adjustment layers or another type of layers. And then you can use the layer masks to maybe hide certain parts of it. So let's say you've got your background layer with your friend on it, and you want to add a layer on top of that, but you only want it visible on part of the image. That's how you use a layer mask. So now you had a new layer on top, but you can still see through to the layer on the bottom, which is just a picture of your friend. So there are all types of different layers, but they all just work in like a stacking manner. And the great thing about layers is they're non-destructive. You can turn them off at any point, and you can change the opacity at any point too. Let's say you make an effect where, again, you're, you want your friend to be a little bit brighter. Maybe they look a little dark in the photo. So you want to make them a little bit brighter. You can make them brighter. And then let's say a couple minutes down the line, you're like, oh, you know what? I think I made them too bright. You can just lower the opacity of the layer, make it a little bit more transparent. And that's going to reduce the effect of that layer. So there are a lot of tools that are built into layers that make it very easy for you to edit your photos at any point in time. And we're talking... Even if you save your file 
and come back to it later, you'll still be able to make those changes. Right. So when you initially bring your photo from Lightroom, you, you were in Lightroom, you, you had a photo. Now we have this goal. I, I want to go edit this in Photoshop. I want to do something that I just can't quite get done in Lightroom. You can right click and say edit in Photoshop and that'll bring it over into Photoshop. Or you can do on uh, Windows, it's Control-E or Mac, it's Command-E. And that'll, that'll load up, like if Photoshop isn't launched already, it'll start Photoshop and then it will bring your photo in. It's, it's one of the best benefits about the Adobe software, being able to make that work. It, when it comes in, that image is there in a layer, like right off the bat. It's, it is the, it's called the background layer. And it's ready for you to be able to add layers on top of it if you need to, like the adjustment layers that we've already talked about, and then use the layer masking. Now, so, so Aaron, if, if they don't want to do an adjustment layer and they want to add a layer, what other kinds of layers are there and how do you do it? Yeah, for sure. So there's just uh, like a standard layer. So sometimes what I'll do is I'll just create a, a, a new layer, just a, a regular old layer. And let's say I want to make my image a little bit warmer. Like I want to bring like a, maybe it's a picture of a sunset, but it doesn't quite look as like sunsetty as I want. Like <laughs> right. I wanted to, you know, I want to get more of that like light and warmth in the photo. Well, I can make a new layer and then again, just grab the brush tool and get a color. So maybe I want it to be like, kind of like this, a nice orangish red. So I'll, I'll go to my color picker. I'll choose a nice orange orangish red color. And then I'll just use my brush tool and paint on the image itself. I'll just paint on this layer where I want it to be visible. Maybe just like a large soft edge brush. So it's a very subtle effect. And then you can do things like change how that layer interacts with the background. Because by default, it's just going to be like, there. now there's orange on your photo, <laughs> right. which is not that helpful, right? But you can change what's known as the blend mode of a layer to change how it blends with the layers underneath it. So for this effect, I would recommend changing to a soft light blend mode, which creates that kind of soft light effect. So what started out just like as some orange you painted on a layer now has like that warming effect on your photo because the orange color blends with the colors of the original photograph and you kind of get a mix of the two. Right. Okay. So it's like, like we're putting down a new pa piece of paper, like it said. In fact, the icon in the lower right-hand corner in Photoshop by default, there's the layers panel and the icon looks like a piece of paper to create a new layer. And so, so you can just click that icon and it'll add a layer. And your, so now your photo is there as the background layer. It'll add this layer this, that, like Aaron said, it's like a piece of paper. You can think of it like that. By default, it's 100% covering your photo. Like, it, there's nothing there yet. It, it, the new layer is empty. But if you add, uh, if you paint the layer with the paint bucket or the brush tool, whatever you do there is going to show up completely 100% over the top of, of what is uh, on of your photo. And then you can use either layer masking to hide pieces of it, which would be kind of similar to like wherever you paint black on the layer mask, you're like using scissors to cut out the paper and, and to show what's underneath it. But you can also with that layer control how much of it's visible with the opacity and how should it blend with the layer below with the, the blend layer. Uh, yeah, the blending. So it, it, it super, super powerful stuff that you just need to get some experience in doing and playing around with these layers. That's what the, the whole thing would be is just don't be afraid to play around with it. And there's plenty of videos 
Learn's got a bunch, but there's others on YouTube as well that can help show you how to accomplish specific goals and learn how to use these tools. And it's just going to take time and experience to do it that it's really super, super powerful. So layers, layer masking, they're, they sound intimidating and difficult, but, but it's not too bad once you do it a couple times to understand all of the options that are available to you. What other types of layers? Are there any other kinds that you want to, to point out here, Aaron, that for like maybe the, a specific goal in mind and a, a layer type that you would use? Well, I use Photoshop to make text and graphics all the time. So let's say you're going to up, maybe make a video for YouTube and you want like a really nice looking thumbnail to Mm -hmm. upload. So it's going to attract more people to click on it. So maybe you want to make some text and some graphics on there. So text layers are a great way to do that. You can just add text over top of anything. Now, one thing that I think is fantastic is you can create a text layer, but then still use a layer mask. Now let's remember like layer masks allow you to hide or show certain parts of your layer. So I'm sure everyone's seen like a magazine cover where like you have the name of the magazine and then there's like a person on the magazine, but like their head is kind of covering up part of the name right. of the magazine, right. you know? So it looks like they're like jumping out from the, <laughs> from the magazine. Right. It's just a super common tactic. We see all the time where like the text look, looks like it's interacting with the photograph a little bit so that you can just create a regular old text layer, type in whatever you want and then use a layer mask to just hide that text where the person is. So that's a real cool effect that you can do. Uh, You also have shape layers, which you could do something similar as well. So it's all about that interaction. And, you know, Photoshop, I feel like, is just a fantastic tool uh, for for taking images to the next step, kind of like in an artistic dimension. So, you know, just images straight out of the camera. Already, digital cameras are so good. You can do a lot in Lightroom to just improve the overall quality of those photos. But if you want to take it to the next level and make it more like a piece of art, I feel like that's where Photoshop really shines. Perfect. I love it. And the adjustment layers are so powerful. Even if if all you do is play around with those for a little bit, get in there, add an adjustment layer and play around with it. We've talked about your favorites already, so that that's good. Um, let's go now to the goal or objective that you might have of cleaning up kind of the imperfections in a photo. Maybe there's litter on the ground or there's a person you want to get rid of. That's, of course, the, the famous verb of Photoshopping. That's what people think of when we talk about Photoshop. And so how do you accomplish those, Aaron? What kind of tools or how do you, how do you go about doing that? So there are a few tools. I would always recommend doing these on new layers. So layers, you know, can be turned off and on at any time. So if you make a mistake, you can just turn that layer off or you can erase part of it. I, you know, if you're doing this on your background layer and you make a mistake, well, it's a lot harder to undo those changes. So always create a new layer. And then you want to use tools like the spot healing brush tool. Uh, The great thing about the Spot Healing Brush tool is it uses a technology called Content Aware, which analyzes the structure of your image and allows you to just paint over something you don't want. Let's say there's a piece of trash on the ground. Literally, all you have to do is paint over that piece of trash and it'll disappear. And then Photoshop will fill in what it thinks the background should be under that piece of trash. So... Most of the time, it does a really, really good job, allowing you to very simply remove just about anything you want from a photograph. 
Now, if it doesn't do a perfect job, because keep in mind, it's like one of these automatic machine tools, right. right? It's like it's using what it thinks should fill in there. But if it doesn't do it exactly right, you can either just paint over it again and give it give it another shot. Or you can use a more manual tool like the clone stamp tool, which allows you to sample a different area of the photo. So let's say you're trying to remove some trash from the ground. Well, you can sample a different part of the ground that looks good and then paint that ground in the new place, covering up the trash. Right, right. Okay, so I, I love the suggestion of making a new layer. That's almost the first thing I do when I take my photo into Photoshop. Um, you can hit Control-J or Command-J as the keyboard shortcut. I, it's always good to learn the keyboard shortcuts. They're faster than than mousing around. And uh, and that'll just create a new layer. Like copies, takes the layer you're on and makes a copy of it and, and uh, adds that layer to the top. Then I can get back to the original if I need to and or pull stuff from the original if I need to to pull get something in there. So I love that suggestion. And then and then you yeah, the spot healing brush. I use that constantly. The healing brush, the patch tool. There's there's a lot of tools that are kind of in the same vein that help to to remove these distracting things that are in there. And it's it's so super easy once you get started doing it. Even like uh, spot healing, if if it doesn't do a fantastic job the first time. You can kind of like, you know, hit it again, <laughs> hit it again Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and see, okay, no, that didn't work very well. Photoshop, try that again. And, and sometimes that'll really help or, or just going to a different tool so that you can, you can make those adjustments. I love it. That's perfect. Uh, okay. So those are kind of some really basic elements that are things to go and play around with. And I highly encourage all you listeners to go do that. And if you need, if you feel like, okay, I kind of get it now, I kind of understand, but I, I just, I need to see it, flern.com is a great place to go to be able to get that kind of help. Are there any other things that you think we should cover at this, w- with these kind of new pe- people who are fairly new to Photoshop? Are we missing anything, Aaron? So... I think that's a fantastic baseline. Um, we do have a tutorial on flirm.com, by the way, called the beginner's guide to Photoshop, which is like, we, we just kind of start from like, Hey, I've never opened the program. What do I do from there all the way to like retouching and compositing and learning just about everything you need to know. So I would recommend that as a starting place, you know, for anyone who's kind of in the boat of like Photoshop sounds pretty cool, but I really don't know what I'm doing. Um, so that'd be a good place to start. But again, I would say, you know, like Photoshop is just a place where you can have fun. You can do so much in it. This, you know, just about every advertisement you've ever seen over the last 20 years has probably gone through Photoshop. So, you know, flip through a magazine and be, you know, get inspired of like, oh, wow, they did some cool stuff here. Chances are it was done in Photoshop. Right. It's really just kind of like a, it's an endless tool you know i've been using it like (laughs) like obsessively for many many years and i'm still blown away at the amount of things that you can do in it it's amazing there's so much to it which i think is part of why people get intimidated because there is so much you can do inside of it but just learning a few of the things we've just talked about start out with the adjustment layers just just go in and do that um, and and play around with layer masking with those adjustment layers, and that is going to open up an entire world of post processing that you just can't do in Lightroom. Um, it, it's way more targeted, more focused. Uh, it's more powerful adjustments that you can make. It's it's very very good to improve your photography and make it make it better. 
Um, okay, so I, I agree, Aaron. I, th- I think that's a really good baseline for photographers and kind of where they should go and, and experiment. Maybe go check out the Flurn vi- uh, video to to uh, get started. They had tons of other questions. So if, are, are you good to go through some of these questions now? Let's do it. All right. Okay, we're going to just, I just took them in the order they came. So they're not prioritized in, in any fashion. And some of them are probably going to be repeat advice because um, a lot of the questions were about what we just talked about. But let's start at the, the top of this and we'll see how many we can get through in the next little bit. Um, Chris Hunt on the Facebook group said, Really looking forward to this episode. Aaron's my favorite YouTube teacher. So props to you, Aaron. <laughs> he loves. Um, he loves Photoshop and um, learning it so much, but he finds it overwhelming. What are the most important points to commit to memory and then build from there? I find that if I learn something, I soon forget it quite easily. All right, that's that's a good point. You, it's. I, I know I found this frustrating when I first started learning Photoshop too. I, I'd watch a video or watch someone do it, and then I'd go do it. I'm like, oh yeah, okay, I, I, that worked. That's cool. I like it. And then the next time I got a photo and I wanted to do the same thing, I'm like, I have no idea how I did that now. I cannot remember. So, <laughs> so, so tell me, Aaron, what are kind of the, the basic things that people need to make sure are just like in their head? Yeah. And I went through the same thing when I first started too. Like, you know, oh, I did this really cool effect. And then I, you know, sit down to try to replicate it, you know, a month later. And I'm like, I had no idea (laughs) what I did. So one of my big things is like, when you're saving your images out, be sure to always save out a PSD. That's a layered file. That way, if you do something that you really like, you can always get back to that layered file and check it out. You can like recheck on your work. You can turn those layers off and on and be like, oh, I did this. That actually worked out really cool. I'm going to make sure that I do that in the future. So that's one of the like baselines. Always save out as a PSD. That file is for you to go back uh, and reference. And then also save out a JPEG as well. And that's going to be what you'll upload to the web. Uh, Another big one, you kind of touched on this earlier, is keyboard shortcuts. It's not necessarily a technique, but I find that as I do, you know, certain tasks in Photoshop, the more I can commit keyboard shortcuts to memory, the faster I can do those tasks, which just results in getting more done in the same amount of time. So maybe keep a little notebook next to you and check out your keyboard shortcuts. It Photoshop's fantastic. Almost every tool and command has a keyboard shortcut. And if you just go through like your file menu on the top, uh, you'll you'll see the keyboard shortcuts right there. And you can go to edit and down to keyboard shortcuts and get an entire list of the keyboard shortcuts that are available to you as well. So that that's a really fantastic way to, you know, oh man, I'm using layer masks all the time. Right. I don't want to go click on that layer mask button. What's the keyboard shortcut for a layer mask? Once you commit that to memory, boom, that saves you five seconds every time you need to make a layer mask, which, you know, could be hundreds uh, of times over a month. So, uh, that's another really big one that that helped me uh, save a bitch of time. And then, you know, the other thing is like, there's so many ways to do just about anything in Photoshop. And it, it does, there's not always like one like right or wa- wrong way. Like, <laughs> <For it's, sure. laughs> you yeah. know, it's kind of like making tacos. It's like, there's a lot of ways to make tacos, you know, like I've had a lot of good tacos that were nothing alike each other. And, uh, you know, that they were all still good tacos, you know? Uh, so kind of like same idea with Photoshop, like 
you can, you know, if you want to make your image have like a warmer color, you could do that with color balance. You could do that with curves. You could just paint orange on your image and change that lip layer to a soft light layer. There, you could use the color temperature slider in Adobe Camera Raw. There's so many different ways to do everything. I would say like, if you can, try not to get caught up on like, oh, this is the way to do it. Because there, oftentimes it's not like there's just a right and a wrong way. It's just different ways to go about doing a something similar. Sure. And then the, the only advice I'd add to that would be, think how long it took for you to figure out how to use your camera. It, it took hours and hours of experience and trying to figure out how to use your camera, the, what the different uh, aperture, shutter, and ISO settings mean and when to use them. And think of how long that took. You shouldn't have any different expectation with Photoshop. It's going to take some time. You got to go in there. You got to experience it. Once you do something a few times over, then it, then it becomes almost muscle memory too. If you've ever watched people on YouTube, if you watch Aaron <laughs> go and edit a photo, it's pretty much muscle memory and, and can be frustrating in some, some people who don't do it as well. Aaron's not one of them. He does a great job with it. But some YouTubers, they forget to tell you the shortcuts they're using. They forget to tell you kind of what they're doing along the way and explaining everything. They go too fast and you don't actually get the whole recipe for what it is that they're working on. So, so that can be super frustrating. You got to find the right tutorials and resources so that it actually tells you step by step what to do and then just practice it. You just have to repeat it over and over and over um, so that until it is finally committed to memory. I totally get it, Chris. Same issue for me. And that's what it took is just a lot of time and practice in, in editing my photos. And when you, I think another key thing that Aaron brought up was having that goal. If you just go into to, to Photoshop and you don't have an objective, you're already behind it there. It's already going to be super hard. But if you have a goal and, and you want to make sure that you can do that goal over and over and over, or the more times you do that goal, the more times you're going to, it's going to be there to remember it when you come back to it later. So those are the, that's what I'd add to that. Okay. Let's move on to the next one. David Richard Lettingham. He's a huge contributor in the Facebook group. David's great. So he says a photographer opens Photoshop for the first time, say basic editing, where should they start? Are there certain tools that are pretty much every photo can use? Or is there some easy use, easy to use tools that someone can start with that progress to more complex tools and techniques? We, I think we already covered this question mostly with the very common things, but maybe the part that we didn't cover, um, and let's not go into detail, Aaron, but after they've kind of figured out layers, they've kind of figured out layer masking, they've uh, sort of figured out uh, adjustment layers, what are all, all the things we've talked about here, is there something more complex that a photographer should look to learn? Yeah, I think any type of uh, like object removal, you know, that yeah. can go a big, big way in improving a photo. So what I think about when I'm editing my photo is like, where do I want the viewer to look in this image? Like, where do I want their attention to go? And the viewer is just like me or you or someone on Instagram. Like, whoever's looking at this image when you're done with it, like, where do you want their attention to go? And that's where you can start to focus on enhancing that image. So a, a couple of, like, tips and tricks on drawing a viewer's attention. So people will tend to look at a brighter area before they'll look at a darker area of an image. So if you want someone to look at a certain place in your image, you can make that area a little bit brighter and you can make other areas a little bit darker. People will also tend to be drawn to more saturated color. So you can saturate those colors in that area a little bit more and desaturate colors in other areas. 
people will also be drawn to areas that are a little bit sharper, a little bit crisper, more in focus. So you can work on improving the sharpness and focus of certain areas and then kind of apply a tiny bit of blur to other areas. So as you start to stack these techniques on top of one another, you'll notice that your image will go from being relatively flat to having a focal point and you can choose that focal point. And if it's a portrait, most of the time you want people looking at an individual's face and then within their face, most of the time it's their eyes. Mm -hmm. So when I'm editing a portrait, I'll tend to spend a lot of time making sure their eyes are really detailed and like really pull in quite a bit of information through techniques like dodging and burning so that when you look at that image, it's like you can't help but look directly into that person's eyes. And all these tools combined can help you draw the viewer's attention to specific areas of your photos. Perfect. All right. The the thing I'd add to that, I, I know I'm just adding all over the place, but <laughs> the thing I'd add is uh, selections. So we haven't really talked about that, but that after you kind of got down the layer masking and, and using that, um, it, it, you quickly kind of get to, well, there's got to be a way that I can figure out how to do the layer masking more precisely and make it so that I can, o- I'm only affecting the parts of the image that I want to also could lead into luminosity masking, which is a, a, a pretty advanced technique inside of Photoshop as well. The, the ability to control what you're selecting and then therefore where you're applying edits is, is a, a place I would go to and make sure you learn kind of as a, the next technique that we haven't really described here. And there's a lot to it. <laughs> there's a lot to selections. Yeah, there are many, many ways to make selections. And it's, uh, again, kind of based on what you want to select. So let's say you want to select a certain color. My my recommendation would be go to the select menu that's in your regular file menu just from the very, very top. Go to select and then down to color range. Right. So you can select a certain color in your image and then use something like a hue saturation adjustment layer to then either change that color a little bit, make it more saturated, less saturated, make it brighter or darker, all kinds of different things. You can select light levels in your channels. Uh, and then, of course, you have simple selection tools like the marquee tool or the lasso tool or even the magic wand tool. I think that's the point when you become really dangerous in Photoshop. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> when you understand layers, layer masking and selections, oh, you're, you're there. You can do so much when you have that kind of technique down. So those are the things that I'd, I'd encourage you to start learning. Figure, make sure that you, you understand how to do all that layers, layer masking and selections. Um, all right. Next question. Constantinos Blachuras, and it's always dangerous saying names. I probably just butchered it, <laughs> but there you go. Said, I would like to hear what are the steps you've taken in Lightroom before bringing your photo into Photoshop? Is any sharpening or noise reduction done first? Um, or is it better to do that in Photoshop? Also, what are the last steps before exporting a picture from Photoshop? So great question here, Aaron. What kinds of things do you think a photographer should adjust in Lightroom first before taking it to Photoshop? So the things that I'll change in Lightroom are any issues with exposure. Is my image too bright? Is my image too dark? That's a great place because you're working on a raw file. Also, white balance. Is my image too warm or too cool? That's something where you want to get that exact as good as you can possibly get in Lightroom before you're bringing it into Photoshop. Now, Lightroom also does have tools that allow you to edit certain parts of your image. So let's say just the top of your image is too dark. You can use a graduated filter in Lightroom to brighten up the top of your image. I would recommend doing that sort of thing as well. 
and any type of lens corrections, which are automatic if you're using a relatively, you know, uh, well-known camera. Adobe has all these profiles with, you know, camera manufacturers as well as lenses. So let's say you're shooting with a, you know, a, a Canon EOS, you know, 5D Mark IV with a 24 to 70 lens. Lightroom is going to know that from the metadata and you can just check a box and what it's going to do is it's going to make any type of lens profile correction. So it will re- remove automatically distortion and vignetting that are caused from the optics of that lens. So exposure issues, white balance issues, broad lightning or darkening that needs to happen, and lens corrections. I recommend doing all that in Lightroom. And then for more specific things like noise reduction and sharpening, I recommend doing those in Photoshop. Uh, the, uh, the tools in Photoshop are just a little bit more powerful. You tend to get a cleaner result and you have a little bit more control. Perfect. All right. I love it. And then exporting, um, are there any things that you think should be kind of usually done before you export a photo from Photoshop out to, say, a JPEG for sharing on the web? So I always recommend sharpening your images as the very last step. So when you are done with your image, then it's time to add a little bit of sharpening. And I always recommend sharpening at the final output size. So if you're going to put your image on your website, let's say it's going to be 1,200 pixels on the wide edge, go ahead and create a duplicate of your original. Just resize that to 1200 pixels on the long edge and add a little bit of sharpening to that image. And then it's time to save that out. My other recommendation is always save out a couple versions of your files. You want always have that layered file, that PSD layered file. That's your best friend because I can't tell you how many times I've thought I was done with an image. I (laughs) saved it out, right? I I even uploaded it to the internet and I came back and looked at the next day and I'm like, Oh, God, what was I thinking? (laughs) It it looks horrible. Like, what? For real? Uh, But because I I saved that PSD, I could go back, and maybe I made the image way too yellow. I was able to tone that effect way, way down, get a much more natural-looking image, save out another JPEG, and then re-upload it to the web. So always save out that PSD file that contains your layers because it's kind of like your insurance. It's like your safety. And then... Once you got your PSD file, you're good. Go ahead and save out a JPEG as well. And that's what you're going to be uploading to the web. Right. All right. Peter Foote asked how and when to flatten or merge layers slash groups. You might have to explain what that means a little, Aaron. Yeah. So uh, in Photoshop, we've talked a little bit about layers that are kind of like pieces of paper that you can stack on to one another. Uh, You can merge these together. So... The advantage of merging layers or groups together is it's going to help you save some file size. Okay, every time you create a new layer and add something to that layer, it makes your file a little bit larger in terms of the storage of the file. Now, this is a this is it's going to be very personal based on your circumstances. So, for me personally, I'm a I'm a person who likes all of my information intact at any point in time. I don't personally mind going out and buying a new hard drive when the current hard drive I'm using is Phil. 
Sure. Okay. I, I, I'm just like a data junkie, right? Like this is my <laughs> world. Like I, I want all of the original information. I don't care how big my files are. I'll just, you know, like it, it doesn't matter at all to me. Keep in mind, I'm like a professional photo editor, right? right. <laughs> and like I have, I have clients who, you know, like I, so m- mainly I do photo education, but I also have uh, uh, retouching clients. I work as a professional photographer and a professional retoucher as well. So my retouching clients, you know, if they want a change made, I got to have those layers intact. I got to be able to get back to those. So right. uh, I don't mind having big files personally. Now, other friends of mine are on the road constantly. They're working primarily on their laptops and they're working primarily off of portable hard drives. And for them, file size is a big deal. They don't want these huge files lugging around everywhere. So they, it makes more sense for them to merge their layers. So my advice would be to merge similar layers. Maybe you've created a couple of layers and each of those did a little bit of blemish removal, right? Maybe I did some blemish removal on a person. I made a new layer, did some blemish removal on the background, made a new layer, blemish removal in the sky. Well, later down the line, I can just merge those three layers together because they're relatively similar and it's not really going to destroy everything. Now, I would never recommend just merging all of your layers because that eliminates your ability to go back and make changes to your PSD file. If, you, if you're saving a PSD and it has one layer on it, that's the same exact thing as just saving a JPEG, right? right? You're like, you don't, you're, I mean, technically it's not the same exact thing because <laughs> JPEGs have compression and maybe not be 16 bits. So, you know, technically not the exact same thing, but you've lost a lot of your ability to go in and make those changes. So I would say anything that's, you know, similar, you can go ahead and merge together. Or anything where you're just like, you know what? I nailed that. I did a fantastic job. I am 100% convinced I don't need this layer anymore. Then go ahead and merge it. But I was, oh, I would always suggest having your background layer intact. Right. And then adding a bunch of layers on top of that. And if you can merge some of those layers together, uh, go ahead and do it. But personally, I never merge any layers ever. It's just something I'd never do. Perfect. <laughs> but again, I'm like I'm like Mr. Photo Nerd with a giant rate array stack next to my desktop computer. You know, like yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm on the way far end of the spectrum. So I wouldn't necessarily say that that's like best case for everyone. But um, that's if you want the most backward compatibility and the the to have the most ability to go back and make changes, then I would just recommend avoiding merging layers. Right. I'm kind of a data hoarder myself. <laughs> just I like keeping everything uh, to the point where, like, even the photos I've called, I have not. I preach it, and I'd say you should call and then delete the the ones you don't want to keep. But I just have a hard time getting rid of any of them. So I have the hard drive space, and I'm like, ah, I may as well just keep them. And uh, you know, you never know what kind of technology may come along and make a, a photo that is not a keeper today become a keeper. And so I just keep everything, but, but like you said, that's not practical for everyone. And the best practice is certainly to call your photos and get rid of the ones that don't make it. Or in this case, we're talking about flatting and merging layer groups. Okay. We're going to skip over to the question now, uh, from Sony Bartucci Hocklander. I don't know if that's how you say it, but sorry, Sony. <laughs> it says, uh, I'd like to hear some basic tips or explanations about resizing and or prepping to print as compared to exporting from LR from Lightroom. Do you sharpen again in Photoshop if you did already in Lightroom? Should you save files from Photoshop or do all of that 
uh, from Lightroom after saving in Photoshop. Uh, so let's just kind of go to that point in the question here. Well, I, I think the the rest is kind of restating the the biggest thing there. Getting ready to print. Is there anything different to do in Photoshop versus Lightroom? So I, I personally, I don't recommend sharpening in Lightroom. I think that it it tends to create a little bit more uh, noise in your image and a, a bit more artifacts. So I, I think that sharpening is Lightroom in Lightroom is a lot. It's kind of crude. I recommend doing your sharpening in Photoshop. Uh, I also recommend sharpening at the output resolution. Let's say you're going to print an 18 by 24 image. You know, go ahead and size it to 18 by 24 and then do your sharpening so it looks good at 100% there. So, you know, you sharpening has a very interesting effect on your photos. If you sharpen a very small image you know, and upload it to the web, that amount of sharpening is going to work for that small image. But if you sharpen a large image the same amount, it's going to have almost no effect. So sharpening for print, I would recommend keeping on the minimal side, whereas sharpening for the web, I actually go a lot harder with my sharpening on the web because those images are a lot smaller. So you can get away with more sharpening. Uh, So when we're going to prep for print, I do recommend a little bit of sharpening, but Again, keep it keep it on the minimal side. Uh, and then in terms of saving out your image, I always recommend saving it out an image at the largest possible resolution and then using whatever print software you use or whatever printer you use, that's where you can decide the output resolution for printing. So printing is kind of like, honestly, I feel like I could start an entire right, podcast right, just yeah. on printing because it's <laughs> super duper complex. Um, and at this point in my career... I am very, very happy with my printing, and here's why. I work with a company, a local company here in Chicago, who, uh, they're a professional printing company. It's a small lab. It's called Print Lab Chicago. Uh, You know, it's just a couple individuals, but they are printing experts. And what I do is I just send them my files at full resolution, and they literally take care of everything else. I know that's not practical for everyone, but if you do have a small print lab that you can work with, or you can work with a reputable online printer, like they can do calibration. They can take care of all your ICC profiles. They can take care of a lot of that stuff. And there are a lot of great print companies online if you don't have access to a local company as well. So um, because printing is, is such like a it's it's such a complicated thing. It doesn't sound like it would be. It sounds <laughs> right. like just hit right. command P and it's good. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But it, it can be very, very complicated. So um, I recommend finding a, a print lab that you trust and working with them or finding a reputable printing company online. Um, yep. Yeah, I, I still, I, I tried to get into printing myself and I just hit my head against the wall for like months and months and months and spent a ton of money on ink and paper. And at the end of the day, you know, I find I get much better results when I just work with a professional. It's exactly the advice I give. I've, I've given before too. Was printing? If you want to print at home because you want to learn from it, have the experience of figuring it out, great. That's that's awesome. But it, don't do it because you think you're going to save money because you won't. <laughs> there's there's no savings there. It is cheaper every time to get with a lab. He's got to find one and figure out how to work with them and, and calling and asking them about questions would be probably a good indicator if they're a good print lab or not, or at least if it's going to work for you. If you need help, then then call and talk to them and say see, if, see how they do if you ask questions um, to know if that's going to be a good partner. 
All right, next question. Gina Choi, I think, says, I know there's many types of blur filters in Photoshop, but I have no idea what each of them does specifically. What are they and what are they used for? So there are a few blurs that I would recommend using under images. If you want to make it look like uh, the image has a natural blur, like let's say, uh, you know, your lens you're using a relatively wide aperture, like a 2.8 lens, mm -hmm. and you photograph your subject and the background is just out of focus, right? So, you know, we're just like a, a standard lens blur that comes out of your lens. If you want to replicate something like that, uh, there's a tool in Photoshop called Lens Blur, which actually does a very good job replicating that effect. It's not perfect, but it does a pretty good job. Uh, I highly recommend that blur. There are other blurs called... Uh, in the blur gallery, which is a newer filter, uh, newer feature in Photoshop. Uh, one of those is called a field blur. And the field blur will allow you to blur different parts of your photos to different amounts, which is also very powerful. Earlier in the show, we talked about drawing a viewer's attention to a certain area of the photo and then doing a slight blur in other areas. So you can use field blur to add a blur to maybe the edges of your photos, but keep your subject's face perfectly sharp. That's another fantastic tool. And then if you want to just do a general, general blur, I recommend the Gaussian blur, but that's not a blur that I would recommend to try to make a photograph look like it's got a blurry background. That's more of a blur of like, hey, maybe I painted this orange color on my image, changed to soft light because I want to give it the sunset effect, but I can still see the edges too much then you would want to run a Gaussian blur on that because a Gaussian blur is just like a totally mathematically random blur. It doesn't try to approximate lens blur or anything like that. It's, it's just more of a random blur. So that, you can, be, that can be used uh, with tools like the brush tool or on a layer mask as well, just to like make those edges a little bit softer. All right. So again, kind of the advice that you gave at the beginning of having a goal in mind. What is it that you want to, to get accomplished with your blurring and that's going to help you decide which of these filters to use. And Aaron went through th several of them. And then you can go online. Like if you have a goal of what you want to accomplish with the blur, just go search. Go, go into Google, search for the blur, um, what, what effect you want. And you'll probably find some information about which of the blur filters to use to accomplish that goal. But having a goal is a really good thing. To, that I think would really simplify this. So you don't have to worry about like memorizing <laughs> what all the filters do and when to use them. As you use them, you'll, you'll become more familiar with them and know when to reach for which filter, which blur filter. But uh, it, when you don't know right off, have a goal and then see how you're going to accomplish the goal. All right. Totally. Next one, Michelle Lee Weather says layers need to be in order and how to get back if you need to do, if you need to, without affecting the other layers. So that, I think that's a good point too, is the layer order. Um, what, tell me about that, Aaron, the order of the layers. Yeah. So again, you know, coming back to the pieces of paper metaphor, you know, if you got a piece of paper and you put another piece of paper right over top of it, you're going to see what's on that layer. And you put another piece of paper right over top of that, then you're going to see what's on, on that piece of paper. So if you change the order of the layers, you're going to change what you're actually seeing in your image. And, you know, keep in mind that some layers, let's say you're compositing, a layer could just have a person on it, right? Like you'd, you put a person in a new background and that's on a layer. A layer could also just be coloring your image or making your image brighter. So, you know, if you have a layer with a person on it 
and a layer that's making your image brighter, if you put the person above, then they're not going to be affected by the brightening layer. If you put a person below, then they are going to be affected by the brightening layer. So changing the order layer, it's basically just like an endless stack of pieces of paper, and each layer affects everything that's underneath it. So whether it's an adjustment layer, which will affect light or a color, or a solid layer like a piece of text or a shape or something that's cut out from its background like a person, all of these have an interplay. So you'll always see what's on top first, and then you'll go all the way down the bottom of the stack. Perfect. I love it. And, and they can be changed. That's another cool thing in Photoshop. The The layers that are in order don't have to stay there. If you decide I need, I, I, I want to accomplish a little different effect, you can move the, the layer in any order you want, which is awesome. I use that all the time. Exactly. All right. Keith Mackey, I think is the, the name here, says, why promote full Photoshop when most can get by with elements? What's wrong with elements? <laughs> Oh, I mean, nothing's wrong with Elements. It's just a, it's just a different program, and you know, full Photoshop just has more features. So uh, again, it's you know the difference between um, uh, like a, a, a calculator, right? Like you have your simple calculator on your phone. You turn it one way, and it'll do addition, subtraction, multiplication, you know, all that sort of thing, right? That's totally good for most times. But then I'm on an iPhone here. If I turn my iPhone sideways, I get a more complicated calculator with things like parentheses and, you know, tan and, you know, x to the power of 2 and sine and cosine and tangent and all these other pi on here. So I get all these other options. So, you know, it's a it really depends on what you're trying to do. Most of the time, a simple calculator is going to be just fine. 5 plus 5, cool, I can do that. But if I want to find, you know, the you know, five to the power of X, uh, you know, then then the complicated calculator might be a little bit better for me. So uh, it just really depends on what you want to do. Uh, Photoshop Elements is a great tool for, you know, uh, relatively simple photo editing. But I would say that, you know, if you want to get more, uh, more complicated things done, like advanced compositing or uh, professional level retouching, uh, I think you're going to find that, uh, the full version of Photoshop is just a little bit more uh, comprehensive. Yeah, so you might have some limitations on on those goals we've been talking about. If you have a certain goal, you may discover that you can't actually accomplish that goal inside of Elements when you can in the full version of Photoshop. And then there's the pricing plans that Adobe's got now. I mean, lots of people really hate the subscription model. I hear that from listeners constantly. But the reality is today you can buy the photographer's plan $10 a month and get Photoshop and Lightroom, full Photoshop and Lightroom. So that used to be kind of the cost element was a big consideration there. And now it's not so much. So um, I know it's a subscription. I get it. <laughs> they don't like it. But uh, but it, it made it actually way more affordable for me as a hobbyist photographer. I couldn't afford to buy the full version of Photoshop before. It just was way too expensive. And now with the subscription plan, it's, it's something I use constantly and I love it. Uh, all right. Monica Plummer. She says, where to go when you have problems? Who do you ask? Where do you search? Is it a bug or is it me? Good, good question. Because there's, you know, Photoshop is powerful, but they're making updates and not all, the updates aren't always good. (laughs) Sometimes there's problems with the updates. Sometimes there's problems with the software. So how do you know if it's you or the software or where should they go for problems, Aaron? Yeah, uh, 
you know, for that, I would just recommend doing a Google search. Chances are, if you're having an issue, someone else is probably running yeah, into yeah. a similar issue. Um, some things that kind of trip me up are like if I'm making a transformation, like, yeah, I want to make a layer larger or smaller. Um, if you don't hit enter when you're done with your transformation, it kind of thinks you're still in transformation mode. So, like, if I'm like, oh, I transformed it and now I want to use a brush tool, it's not going to let you use the brush tool or do literally anything else until you hit enter or you hit the checkbox on the top of the screen. Mm-hmm. So, there are some things like that where it's like, oh, you need to get this done. Or sometimes I'll have a selection active, but not realize I have a selection active. Like, I don't see it. And so I'm trying to get something done and nothing's happening. And I'm like, what the heck? And then I realize I have a selection. So <laughs> right. some, what I do, I have a couple like keyboard shortcuts that like boom, boom, boom. They kind of solve most of these problems. So my first keyboard shortcut is just hit escape because that'll get you out of like a transform tool or a dialogue that might be open that you're not fully aware of. So hit escape and then hit control or command D, which will deselect your image and then hit enter. So if you do those three things, that's pretty much going to cancel out of any tool that you're in or apply any transformation or make a deselection. And then that will probably take care of any issue that you're having uh, in terms of like, you know, actual usability in the program. And then sometimes you just got to turn your computer off and turn it <laughs> right. back on. You know, the old unplug and replug it in seems to fix just about everything. <laughs> Absolutely true. Rebooting. There have been times where Photoshop has had some pretty good memory leaks. So as it's up and it just keeps using memory, that it doesn't have to do even with what you're working on as much as it just keeps consuming memory over time. And, uh, and so, so that's been an issue at times I, today, as of right now in July, 2019 hasn't, it's not really an issue at the moment, but there have been times. The other thing I'd add is I I've heard from listeners a ton where they've having problems. And it's because they just don't have a good enough computer to be able to run Lightroom and Photoshop together, especially. And it takes some, some memory in particular, but good CPU and good memory in a computer to make a solo to work well. And if you don't, it's going to just struggle and you're going to have problems. You're going to have things fail. Uh, Photoshop is probably going to give you out of memory errors uh, frequently if you don't have a lot of memory in your computer. And it's just, it's a pretty demanding piece of software. You got to have a computer good enough to do it. And the, the good thing is I have tons of advice on that on, <laughs> on phototacopodcast.com. I have buying guides for, for uh, Mac computers and for Windows computers that can help make sure you've got the, a good enough computer to make it all run well and then do that. The other place I'd say to go for searching, Google's great, but there's going to probably be tons of advice um, that's going to be tough to sift through. There's going to be people who are flat out wrong on what to do with the problem. Uh, and then there's going to be people that take too long to get to the answer, whatever it might be. There, that that can be good, but can be tough to sift through the information too. The place to kind of try, especially if it's you think it's a bug, is feedback.photoshop.com. Go there. There's a forum that Adobe runs and manages. They have people watching the forums to be able to pick up bugs and questions and, and answer it. And if you search in there, they have a search at feedback.photoshop.com. And, um, and you'll be able to kind of see if there's like a known issue in particular. And I watch those forums constantly. So I also give you tips and advice here on photo taco or in the master photography podcast where we will go over like, especially after new releases, if there's problems, then we'll go over kind of the known issues that are there. So you can stay tuned to the podcast for those. All right. Well, Aaron, we got to the end of the questions. 
So whoa, we did it. That's good. That's excellent. Sure, appreciate you coming on the show. Um, I I have loved watching the tutorials that you had. I, a lot of my learning of Photoshop came from you. So so I'm, I'm really <laughs> thrilled to to be able to have you on the show and and talk through it. Tell me more about Flurn.com. Take take a minute here, or you know, a few minutes. Tell me about Flurn and what listeners could uh, should be looking to Flurn to do. Yeah, so we have uh, on our website, we've got hundreds and hundreds of free tutorials. Since day one, we've been making free tutorials and it's really just an opportunity to like help out those who, you know, maybe they have a little question here or there. They just kind of want to get started and don't want to, you know, don't want to spend any money. So um, (laughs) I'd recommend starting out with the free tutorials. Uh, We have uh, sample images that you can download. You can follow right along with us. Super, super easy. And then when you're ready to take it to the next level, uh, we have a subscription platform. It's kind of like Netflix for creatives. So you just pay like a monthly or annual fee and then you get access to everything on the website. And it's like hundreds and hundreds of advanced in-depth stuff. And uh, we, I mean, we've been (laughs) almost 10 years now, we've trained like so, so many of like professional retouchers and compositors out there. It's like... uh, Anything you want to learn on a on a professional scale when it comes to Photoshop, photography, or uh, Lightroom as well. So uh, again, it's super nice because uh, let's say you're interested in retouching. You know, we've got a great uh, tutorial called "How to Master Frequency Separation Retouching," for instance, which is a super popular topic. It's right. you know not super duper difficult, but it, it's it's advanced. Um, so we've got a great tutorial on that. And then after you're done with that, you're like, oh, you know what? Actually, I think I could maybe get into a little compositing. Maybe I want to take a picture and I want to put someone into a new background or I want to create like a fantasy type image. Well, because it's all a subscription, then you can just pop over and then watch that tutorial as well. So you're not having to purchase everything all the card. Like once you're in, you're in and you can watch everything we got new releases coming out every month. And then also included in the subscription are Lightroom presets, uh, Photoshop actions, which make Photoshop way easier to use. And then we also have all these color toning LUTs that can be used in Photoshop, uh, Lightroom, as well as uh, video editing programs like Adobe Premiere as well. Excellent. Yep. I, I hope listeners, you've got kind of a flavor for how Aaron describes things, how he goes through things. That's part of the the appeal of Flurn is Aaron's just a really good instructor to be able to walk you through this stuff. And so if you haven't tried that out yet, if you haven't been to Flurn.com, you haven't seen anything, I'm going to put some links in the show notes to a couple of those free videos. Um, there's beginning guide to Photoshop and beginning guide to Lightroom that are, are going to be excellent resources that you can try out. The other thing that uh, that's going to incent you to go over there is, like I mentioned at the top of the show, we have a 20% discount coupon code. So if you go sign up for a subscription to flurn.com and you use coupon code TACO20, you'll be able to get 20% off your subscription. And it's it's a really excellent value. I, I highly recommend it. Even if you didn't have the 20% off, it's totally worth the money to go and subscribe to flurn.com. Uh, excellent resources that really help you to learn Photoshop from the beginning, like we've talked about, where you, you're really intimidated by Photoshop and don't know how to use it all the way through to those advanced techniques that Aaron was just talking about. Beautiful resource. I love it. You, I, I can highly recommend it having gone through a lot of it myself. So head over to flurn.com and check it out. Um, Thanks, Jeff. Yeah, sure. 
uh okay so that's we're gonna we're gonna wrap up the show here aaron uh thanks again so much for for joining me i've had a ton of fun talking talking with you about photoshop i i think the, the listeners are gonna really like the episode too and what they had you they, uh you can find everything photo taco related over at phototacopodcast.com searchable show notes I'm going to have show notes for this episode so you can, if you, if you, we went through it and you didn't remember to write something down that Aaron said, I'll have it there in the show notes. You can go check that out. Love to connect with you on Instagram where it's at Photo Taco Podcast. Twitter is at Photo Taco. Or if you have an idea for the show or you'd like to drop me some feedback, you can email the show at phototacopodcast at gmail.com and uh, looking for show ideas all the time. So tell me what you'd like to hear on the show. Maybe a technical topic that of photography that you just don't quite understand and you'd love to have more advice given to you, then I'll see about bringing a, an expert like Aaron onto the show so that we can, we can go through it and really dig into the details about how to do it. Um, Aaron, where can people find you? Besides Flern, where can people find you? <laughs> so we have, we're all on YouTube as well. So um, I would check out our YouTube channel. It's also just Flern. Um, we're on Instagram at Flern, Twitter at Flern. We just, you know, <laughs> type in PH Learn to just about any of the platforms and you'll find us. Very good. All right. Thanks again, Aaron, for joining me. I'm so glad to have you on. And listeners, we'll see you again in about a month. Thank you so much. Views expressed on this program by independent host guests and callers do not necessarily reflect their views of improved photography LLC or its advertisers. Some links mentioned on this program are affiliate links where a permission is earned. Olay!